are so glad you're here to chat with us. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Lauren. We're excited to share conversations, stories, and an in-depth perspective of United Way's commitment to the Valley. Today, we are joined by Pat Frey, Vice President of Home for Good, and Neil Richardson, Executive Director of Safe House Ministries. We will be discussing homelessness in the Chattahoochee Valley today. Thanks for joining us, Pat and Neil. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is exciting. Well, we're going to start off with a real simple question um, of, will you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how did you both get into this line of work? Neil, go ahead and go first. Oh, I was fixing to do the ladies first line. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I'm not going to tell you my story story at the whole, you know, take a lot of time, but I'm a recovering person. I spent about 30 years. I've been homeless. I'm a drug addict in recovery, um, divorced, um, lived in shelters, functioned like street folks, trying to just do what I did. And, you know, I, God was amazing in my life after letting me be stupid for as long as I could be stupid all by myself. Um, when he finally led me to a place where I could start getting some help, um, a huge I got to pay this forward desire just became alive inside of me. Um, I get a kick out of our team's approach to what we do in our shelters, what we do in our treatment programs, what we do at the safe house. I, I'm affected by what I remember. So things that I thought were really rude and disrespectful, I get a little testy if we do those things. Um, and things that I thought were missing, we do because I, I run everything through that silly filter of Neil about how it affected me when I was there. Um, and so I, I got here, you know, the 12th step um, says that we basically, we, we did so good, we have to pay it forward. And so that's what I do. Thanks for sharing that, Neil. And, and I came at this from a different, uh, different sort of perspective and that I was a volunteer for United Way um, in my role at uh, then Columbus Regional, um, now Piedmont Columbus Regional. And I had served as a liaison um, for the, the hospital system to the United Way, served uh, and during point in time count, which is our annual count uh, on the streets uh, and in the shelters of those experiencing homelessness in our community. Um, and also had served on the continuum of care board. Um, and came here um, after some members of the board contacted me and asked me if I would consider interviewing for the executive director's position when the former executive director left. Um, but my perspective in, in this was, was in process. Um, my roles at the hospital had always been in Medicare and Medicaid compliance and making sure that we had systematic processes in place to meet the needs of, of, of individuals, then in a hospital setting, now in a homeless uh, environment, but that the plans were based on the needs of the clients and not on the needs of the organization. So uh, that's the perspective I came with in that um, we needed to have a systematic approach. It wasn't one agency and then another agency and then another agency and another agency. We all needed to be able to do what we do well to serve the clients, but come together uh, and hold hands around that client. We talk about wraparound services. Well, in my um, 
Neil calls it his 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 simple filter. Well, in in my key brain mind, you know those wraparound services should be all of us service providers literally linking arms around the client to meet the needs and and to protect them from um, whatever it is that got them into situations. You both have such incredible stories. So thank you very much for sharing. Um, And what you were saying, Pat, about wraparound services is so important, especially in this process that as they find their way to you and then have these services, it helps them maintain And I believe that that's probably so vital to their success. So you both have known each other for a while. Um, Talk about that relationship and that partnership a little bit. Well, I actually met Neil um, probably my first board meeting when I came to Home for Good. Um, He was on the, he served on the board. He'd been one of the founding members of Home for Good um, that came out of the mayor's uh, task force um, that was developing the 10-year plan to end homelessness. Um, And I quickly knew that Neil was one of those guys that I could call and say, hey, I need a favor. Or have you thought about this? Or I'm clueless and I don't know how this works. Can you help me? Um, And so there was born a relationship of, I think, of frankness and openness from the beginning. Um, not trying to impress each other or in what we knew or didn't know or whatever. It was, here's where we are. Here's where we would like our community to be. And what part can we individually and organizationally play? But how can we bring other organizations along in that, in that journey? You know, my favorite part of the early on and then the continued relationship with Pat is that I think it's fair to say that neither of us really cares about who gets the credit. We want to know that the outcomes are happening for our clients. Um, I think the coolest part of the relationship is, um, you know, I'm not a giant fan of gestalt and uh, screaming and yelling, but if I, if I'm ready to pull the rest of my hair out or, and I think Pat the same way, one of us will text the other and say, you know, mood for some coffee and we'll go sneak over to Iron Bank and just uh, one of us will be father or sister confessor. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, we get a chance to we can vent with each other about the challenges that, that come up and and then we can help. We're good brainstormers. I think we really can. We'll throw out ideas and sometimes she'll roll her eyes at them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, but but we're allowed. We can think outside the box, if you will, and I, I, we don't ever accept the way we did it last year as the way to do it this year. Awesome, and I feel like we all get caught up in our own work um, and what we you know know. We obviously know what Home for Good and Safe House does, but can we break that down a little bit for our listeners and tell them um, exactly what these um, organizations are about? Sure. Um, I'll go first. Um, as um, Home for Good serves as the <clears throat> excuse me, the continuum of care, which is a designation from the from the Department of Housing and Urban Development of the organization who oversees the uh, distribution and funding applications for a local community. That's a continuum of care. We also operate our database system 
and what we call our coordinated entry system. So truly, if someone is seeking housing and housing related services and is experiencing homelessness, coordinated entry is their access point. We, we access that through our 211 uh, information and referral service. And then we take that information, we do a further assessment and make referrals to housing providers across the community. Again, based on the needs of the client, whether it's a single uh, adult household, whether it's a, a household with minor children, um, whether it's female, male, whether the person has some some other issues that need to be addressed in, a, in addition to their housing needs and all of those things. So Home for Good, that's what we do. We also operate um, a small emergency shelter um, for uh, those experiencing homelessness as a result of COVID-19 with our relationship with Department of Community Affairs and our CARES funding. We also do a rapid rehousing program in that same vein. We also oversee a voucher program by the Housing Authority in Columbus and the Housing Authority in Phoenix City. Um, Safe House is hugely important to Home for Good because we don't, there's not a day that goes by that we don't do a referral or have a conversation with Safe House Ministries because of the many services that Neil's going to talk about that they provide that are, that are absolutely essential to the overall success of those experiencing homelessness in our community. And so when Home for Good, in a sense, becomes the umbrella, Safe House is one of the people that are under that umbrella. Um, we try not to duplicate anything somebody else is doing. We try to learn how to refer to them. There's no sense in wasting the money or the, or the time. Um, and so over the years, we started off, really, I was, I'm the chaplain in the jail. Um, we started off trying to deal with inmates exiting and trying to eliminate some of the recidivism. And so we provided services there. And then we just kept growing as a result of how come they keep coming back to jail. And so we found housing. Well, I mean, the number one thing is, is substance abuse. And so Safe House Ministries operates a state licensed intensive substance abuse treatment program. Um, and it's absolutely free, which most places that are certified like we are charging between 30 and $50,000 for nine to 12 months worth of treatment. And some of the folks kiddingly call us the last house on the block. Um, and, and that's both because of who can come there and who's, who knows how to find that last house. So 85% of the people that go back to incarceration is typically because of substance abuse issues. So we deal with that directly. The next one is housing and the third is employment. So we do GED in the jail. We, um, on the outside, obviously we have shelters and we participate through Home for Good in that rapid rehousing uh, trying to get people up off the street and into permanent housing, not just into a shelter. So we use our shelters as bridge. So if you're in treatment and you need some kind of structured housing to while you're in treatment, you can stay at our shelter for a longer period of time. If you're a homeless person, it's time to get you into permanent housing. So we'll hold you to keep you off the river walk and keep you out from underneath a tree um, or in a doorway. And then things like um, 
we try to provide a safe, welcoming space for anybody that's experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness. So the safe house provides, I think, a good hot breakfast and a good hot lunch 365 days a year. We have TV, we've got computers, we've got a library, we've got about 20,000 books. And so if you want to just sit and read, if you want to look at Facebook, if you want to watch a little TV, you just want to escape the heat and come to a cool place that's got cold water and coffee. You want to catch a meal, we got a clothing closet, we can come up with interview closing or we can come up with enough stuff just to, to be meal today. So I guess in a sense, we try to meet the emergency needs of our clients and provide a bridge to permanent uh, answers. You know, what you both do is incredibly valuable to our community. And knowing that this partnership is there and how well you both work together is just a testament to the success of being able to house and support so many in this process. I want to thank you both for that. This next question is important to me because I think everyone has has their own idea of what goes on in the community around this issue of homelessness. So talk to us a little bit about some common misconceptions about homelessness in our community. Wow. So let me start off by saying this, okay? The generalization or the picture in most people's minds when you say homeless is clueless. I'm guessing 15, max 20% of the homeless are the ones that you see on the streets of Columbus on 2nd Avenue, downtown, panhandling or whatever. Right. The majority of homeless people are invisible. Some kind of major financial trauma has put them from barely making rent to being evicted. And they are scrambling most of them are waking up in the morning, sleeping in the car, shaking out the shirts and taking the least wrinkled one, going to the bathroom in a gas station or convenience store to do a bird bath, and then they're out trying to fix. And sadly, about most of them will fix everything in less than six months on their own because they're out there fighting for it, and they just need to know where services are. They're, they're the majority of the homeless. The misconception that they're all drug addicts, that they, well, I love this one, they chose this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my favorite one. You know, everybody has choices and that's their choice. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm saddened by what is viewed as their choice is actually being beaten down so many times that they're quitting. You know, and and I can honestly say, I know for a fact that Pat and her team, and I think us at the safe house, spend as much time trying to encourage and build up the self-esteem and the worth and the hope of the people that we we see as we do in just trying to stick them in, you know, get them into housing, get them some clothes, you know, making them feel like I deserve better. Yeah, and and I think you're exactly right, Neil. But but you know, uh, many times I said there, but the grace of God go I. 
you know, the, the, the instances of um, drug abuse or substance abuse or mental illness amongst the homeless is no greater than it is of the general population. Um, no one, I think, uh, back to what Neil said about this is their choice, I, I don't think that that mental illness and or substance abuse issues are a choice for anybody. I don't think anybody ever aspired to do that or be that. Um, it's a it's a disease no different than cancer or diabetes or high blood pressure. Um, so I, I think we need to come at things from a perspective of, of, of a whole person approach, a whole family approach, community approach. Um, this is not a new issue. Um, this is, and this is not an issue that will ever completely go away, but how we deal with homelessness, how we deal with mental illness, how we deal with substance abuse, it is, is literally going to shape all of our communities going forward. And so I think remembering that that is someone's child, mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, whatever, um, will go a long way with all of us, um, being a little more compassionate and, and being a little more encouraging. The work y'all do is so special um, and being just having that person that believes in you always makes any situation better. Um, so thank y'all both for being that person to so many people in our community. Um, y'all touched on a little bit about um, some of the common reasons people find themselves in this situation. Are there any other ones you can think of? Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, living in your car and working hard every day to find the resources you need, um, mental health things like that. Are there any other ones? Well, if you think about it, I mean, we've just been through a huge crisis in, in, in our country, in our world with, with you know, COVID-19 and, and, and jobs uh, being um, being lost or, or hours being cut or, you know, fresh uh, businesses being closed or, or, or those kinds of things. Number, you know, that, that has played a, played a huge part in our community over the past year. But also, I mean, you know, statistically all of us are about one or two paychecks away from financial ruin we are one bad health diagnosis or one car accident away from financial ruin. so it, it this is this is unfortunately this goes back to something that i had a conversation with a family member several years ago and said you know the problems we're having in our in our world are because families quit taking care of families well, sometimes, you know, a family's not able to uh, be able to financially support that family member until they can get on their feet. Sometimes this is a generational cycle that has to be broken. Um, so there are many uh, factors, but um, I think we're on the right step to uh, helping individuals and families to, to, to not only exit homelessness, but to permanently stay housed and hopefully can can build that uh, foundation that the rest of the generations to come can build on. Well said. Pat, I just want to reiterate the point you made because I think it's really, really important. Uh, you mentioned the instances of substance abuse or people living with mental health issues is not any more prevalent within those experiencing homelessness versus society at large. So can we say it was a lack of community support or family support or people feeling like they don't have access or feeling like they don't deserve those resources that then led them to be without a home? Yes. And, and also we have found um, 
just in fact last week we were dealing with the situation um it took an agency contacting the family to try and rebuild just a little sliver of trust for that family member to come back and be able to stay in that home until they could they could uh, access permanent housing because many times when when you're dealing with any of us you know we all have family members who have burned that bridge one too many times right and so it, it's 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 not there's no one answer um and it's it's just like all of our families i, I bet every one of us has that person in the back of our head now that we know exactly who in our family that is and it may be us as a so you know um it, it it's all of those things combined yeah okay well um we have just one more question for y'all and that would be what can we do as a community to help support your work <laughs> you know what i mean i know the easy answer is to say that we both need financial support but i, I think it's the people support mm -hmm. um and, and the people support for me comes on two approaches. One is the attitudinal adjustments necessary to be made as a community to who we're, who we're treating. So that there's a level of respect and eye contact and humanity that happens between members of the community and the homeless community, if you will. And two, involvement. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's helping serve a meal, whether it's bringing some clothes by, whether it's being a volunteer in the point in time count, uh, whether it's joining in the efforts to do outreach so that, you know, we talked about building hope, we've talked about self-esteem building and stuff like that. I think it comes from people, you know, the relationships that you can have as a client you know, I know that there were people when I was homeless who had an impact on me and people who had a bad impact on me that, quote unquote, were trying to help. You know, it was the people who just wanted to let me know that they cared, that were there, that weren't the paid professionals, that had probably a greater impact on me than, than the, quote unquote, pros, mm -hmm. because they were just community folks that were doing it just to share a little love. And that felt good and empowered me. Mm -hmm. I, I have to echo what Neil said, and and I just my my favorite my favorite quote comes to mind: "Be the change you want to see in the world. It's not us and them; it's all of us." Well, and you know, too many people may not have the family support like we were talking about. Our community could be that family. You all are that family to support them. We know what that's like to work in nonprofit in which people are, are first. But I think it was mentioned that changing minds and attitudes is, is really important. So what would you say to someone to help maybe shift their mindset a little bit? I think Pat already said it, two things be the change and there but by the grace of God go I. Um, sometimes it's it's seeing what you know what the bottom line is it's seeing people as people, not people as circumstances. Mm -hmm. Right. 
You know, if you judge me by my circumstance, you missed me. Amen. Well said. I really, I, I love that. I always say, you know, everyone deserves to be loved. And thank you again for loving so many people in our community um, and helping us understand how we can love them um, and grow as a community and offer the services that they need. I'd like to ask one more question. It must feel really great that the work you all have done means that you're shifting more toward prevention rather than helping after an experience. Talk to me a little bit about how that feels. Um, it feels really good to be able to do to take a moment to breathe and to plan um, and to come up with um, even longer term uh, solutions at the beginning of a process rather than reacting just to plug the hole and then figuring out how we're going to do the re next step tomorrow. Um, so being able to do uh, do some of that is, is, is great. And, and truly, it's only because of the relationships that have been built over the past several years that we are, we are, we are transitioning to the moment we interact with somebody, we're already planning to exit them from our programs successfully because we have started building that roadmap on how to get from there. And, and you know, one, one thing that's, that's a luxury, if you will, of being a ministry is that we get to deal with the spiritual element as well. And sharing victorious testimonies and the power of an almighty God in the lives of those people we serve and who have been served really goes a long way towards establishing hope. And I think hope's, hope's the light. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that this doesn't have to last forever. Then I can believe that I can change and then I can participate in that change. And I think that's the other thing. But I wanna share with you, in the last three years, we have seen our clientele at the safe house go from just about 100% homeless to under 60% homeless. So 40, 38 to 45% of our clients month in or month out are housed. Wow. And they're seeking services to stay out. Um, and, and that's symptomatic of the victories that we've had under, under the Home for Good model. When we started working together and stopped being a bunch of silos trying to get out and see what we could do, we've actually changed the dynamic huge. So you come by the safe house today and near half of the people there are housed trying to remain housed. That's incredible. No, and that's, that's, this is special what's going on in Columbus, Georgia. And, and I have to, I have to piggyback off that because I remembered something I wanted to touch on earlier that Neil mentioned. Neil mentioned earlier that, um, you know, the safe house started out as, hey, the, the, the folks that are exiting the jail, how do we keep them from coming back to the jail? How do we decrease recidivism rate? Um, and that was, that was a novel thought back then and it ironically two weeks ago the director i'm sorry the secretary of housing and urban development issued a directive to all continuums of care public housing authorities and those who receive funds from the department of housing and urban development that we have to focus on those returning citizens those who are entering from jails and prisons we just started laughing we've been doing it 
you know, in little old Columbus, Georgia, it's been going on. And just two days before that, uh, mayor, members of the Mayor's Commission on Reentry received a proclamation from Mayor Skip Henderson um, recognizing June uh, 2021 as Reentry Awareness Month. Again, uh, little old Columbus, Georgia uh, was ahead of the game um, and saw the need to uh, build programs, develop agencies and organizations to meet the needs of our community, even when no one else was talking about it. So you want to talk about out-of-the-box thinking, that was out-of-the-box thinking that uh, I can only imagine the, the people who laughed and pointed and said all kinds of things at the time. But now it's it's now it's the cool thing, you know. So way to go. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Pat and Neil, for taking the time to chat with us. This was fun. Thanks. Bye. Join us for our next episode. We're talking with Publics District Manager Randy Burt. He's a supporter, advocate, and longtime friend of United Way. You don't want to miss it. To catch a previous episode or for more information about United Way, visit unitedwayofthecv.org. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you're here to chat with us.